It's all about salvation, next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. In a day and age when we want to define the terms of salvation, who, what, when, and where, God comes to us in His Word reminding us once again that He's the one sovereign over salvation and He's the one who establishes the terms. Hello and welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We're in Matthew chapter 20 today looking at verses 1 through 16. Join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth now. Once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse. When it comes to the blessings of salvation, God gives to all equally. We're going to find that out today. All who come to the Lord Jesus Christ receive the same salvation. No matter what the circumstances of our coming, no matter how diligent or how faithful our service, it is God's good pleasure to give us the same glorious salvation. Now with that background... I want to look at Matthew 19, verse 30, and follow along as I read the text for us this morning. 19, verse 30 says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one of them received a denarius. Now when those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Fellow, I, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Today I want us to ponder this tremendous story that Jesus tells. I want us to ponder fairness today in light of God's work in Christ. And again, a deeper understanding of just how unfair or just how fair our God is. Well, let's look at our text. The first thing you're going to see here 
is that phrase, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And you see it twice. And the reason you see it twice is because it's actually bracketing in the parable. It's, it's starting in 1930 and it ends in 16. And it says everything in between that has to do with that phrase, that proverb. And so we want to look at the proverb, we want to look at the parable, we want to look at the point of the parable and then the principles. And I don't know if we'll get all through this today. It might become part two. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Depends how fast I talk. But it appears in 1930, and it also appears in 2016, that phrase, that proverb, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Well, what is a proverb? A proverb can be defined this way. It's a short statement of wisdom. It's a small little pithy statement that has truth, that has wisdom contained in it. It's a short statement usually of unknown origin, and it expresses wisdom. Now, we don't know if the Lord borrowed this, from his culture, from his society. We don't know if he made it up. He uses it several times throughout his teachings. He may have coined it himself. We're not clear on that. But the thing is, is he uses this proverb to bring across a point. And when you stop and you read it, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Well, what is he talking about? What first? What last? What does it mean? As you ponder that, as you begin to study that and just have it go over and over in your mind, I'm sure you'll come to the same conclusion I did. That proverb simply means that everyone is the same. Everyone is the same. Because if the first become last and the last become first, then the first become last who became first. And then the last who were already last became first. It just goes round and round. It's like having a race. If you had a race and everybody started and they all crossed the finish line at the exact point in time, everybody finished a winner. There's no second place. The last or first and the first or last. And that's the intent of the parable. And it becomes very obvious in the context and the parable of our Lord opens that up to us. So we see the proverb. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Well, let's look at the parable. Verse 1. After stating the proverb in, in verse 30, look at verse 1 of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, remember, a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. When, when Jesus was on earth, he had to teach in such a way that he had to look around and he had to grab illustrations and examples from their culture. But he's teaching not an earthly lesson, he's teaching a spiritual lesson. We're not talking about things on the earth. We're talking about things in the sphere where God rules through grace. We're talking about things in the kingdom of God. We're talking about a salvation economy here. The sphere of God's domain. The place where Christ rules and reigns. So don't get sidetracked because he's telling an earthly story. He's not necessarily coming across with that just for the earthly meaning. He wants us to get a deeper meaning, a spiritual meaning from that. That's what a parable is. We're in the spiritual dimension. We're in God's world now. And in order for us to understand that dimension, we really have to have some earthly illustrations, you might say, that he shows us. 
because we're so earthly minded. <laughs> and so the Lord uses these common thing here, a vineyard and workers, to relate to the people he's teaching. And so he begins by introducing us to a man. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. In the Greek, that word is oikodespotis, which means basically oikos, house, despot, ruler. is a ruler of a house. He must have had a rather large estate. And he is the owner because verse 15 clarifies that because he answers the man. He says, well, isn't it right for me to do what I want with what is mine? So he owns this property. And so the money that he paid the laborers was his own because he was the owner. So here is a man who owns a large estate and he has a vineyard on his estate. And it tells us that he went out early in the morning. In their culture, that would be their, their workday started at 6 a.m. It ended at 6 p.m., 12-hour workday. So he went out before that, probably 5-ish, 5.30. He had to get workers. And so early in the morning, he went into the village. He went into the town to hire some laborers to come and work in his vineyard. Modern-day example of that is going down to Home Depot. You see the guys down there standing around work. Well, they want to work, right? Now, you can debate whether it's wrong or right to hire those people. That's your own prerogative. But that's a picture of what's going on here. Now, this is very, this imagery that Jesus is using is very common to their culture. It's a very real one. They lived in a land where there was not only uh, flat plains that contained grain and all that, but there was also hills, and on the hills they had vineyards. They still have them over there to this day. And they put in a lot of work in cultivating those vineyards and those grapes, because they were on the hill, they had to bring up soil from the valley and, and they had to terrace the hillside and plant the vineyards. And we can maybe imagine it. It's, it's maybe in the fall here. They would plant these things in the springtime and they would nurture them through the summer. And in the fall, around this time, September, they would begin to have a harvest of grapes. In that time, as you, if you've ever been on a farm around harvest time, it's not a time to sit around idle. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, people have to work. They have to get the crops in. I went out to my brother's farm one time when he was baling hay. I lasted about two days. Hard work. Sun up to sun down. I mean, it's, it's very hard work. And they were familiar with this setting. And he's describing a, a vineyard here. And it's, it's harvest time. And this landowner needs to get the grapes in before the rains come and destroy his crop. Now, he'd have a large number of people helping him do this, obviously. He shows up before 6 a.m. and he goes out and he finds these laborers. Now, in their society, they had different classes, kind of a people, people who owned the land and people who worked for people who owned the land. And the people who worked for the people who owned the land were even broken up into further classes. You had people who were employed full-time, the caretakers, the people who cooked, the people who maybe watched the children and, and oversaw the everyday uh, goings-on going in the home. But then you also had people that were way down on the economic ladder who would be hired for a day if there was a special project. Maybe they would be hired for a couple days. 
While the harvest was a time when they would go outside of their regular household of employees and they would find somebody else because they needed the hands on deck to bring in the harvest. And these day laborers were kind of the bottom of society. They didn't have a full-time job. They depended on whatever they got that day. As a matter of fact, even in the Old Testament, God's word gives us instruction on how these people should be treated. Just to show us how caring and loving God is, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13, it says this, The wages of the hired servant, that's the guy we're talking about, the guy that's just hired for a day, shall not remain with you all night until morning. And you say, well, why is that? Because these guys didn't have money to buy food. That's why they were in town. That's why they were standing around waiting for somebody to hire them. And when someone hired them, it wouldn't be fair to make them work all day because they probably hadn't eaten in a couple days to work all day and then say, hey, I'll pay you Friday. <laughs> that didn't, couldn't go on. And so God's word included them. And he said, you know what? If you hire these people, you have to, at the end of the day, settle the account with them so they can go buy their family food. It wouldn't be fair to them to make them work if they're not a regular employee and then expect to get paid a week later. I always hated that when I got a new job. And you know, you're pretty much broke when you get a new job to some degree because that's why you're looking for a job, right? And you get this job and, you know, the first thing on my mind is when's that paycheck coming? And inevitably, well, you know, we hold the check for two weeks and it's just, ah. Oh. And you're working that whole two weeks and you, nothing. You have nothing to show for it. So frustrating. Well, God would not allow that to happen with these people who are way down on the economic scale. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 15, he says this, You shall give him his hire on the day he earns it, before the sun goes down, for he is poor, and he sets his heart on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord, and it be sin in you. Isn't it wonderful how God takes care of all these, I mean, what we would look at as almost minutia. But that's the concern that God has for his people. So these people are on the bottom rung of the ladder economically. And the Lord said, you know what? When they work, they need to be paid the same day because they need the food. And so here's this scene in this Jewish villages, village where these workers would come, these day laborers, and they'd gather around and they'd gather early in the morning and they'd wait for somebody to come along and say, hey, I want you to come with me and work for me. Well, look at verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. You say, well, is that a lot of money? Yes, that was a very honorable wage. That was the standard pay for a soldier, to give you an idea. That was the standard pay for a respected employee of the household. It was generally accepted as a wage for a, a good day's work. It was a fair wage. This guy wasn't down there trying to get something for nothing. It breaks my heart sometimes. You, you see these people out there willing to work and people take advantage of them. That's not the Christian thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. Well, these men agreed, it says, to work for a fair wage, and they went to work for that amount. You work for me, 12 hours, I'll give you a denarius. Okay, let's, let's hit it. Look at verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others. So if the day begins at 6 a.m., this is 9 o'clock in the morning. He takes the workers to the vineyard, gets them started. He goes back to the town to find some more workers three hours later. And he saw others 
standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. Notice he doesn't say what he's going to pay him. He says, whatever is right, I will give you. And he must have been an up, upright man in the community. They probably knew who he was. He was probably known as a fair man, probably known as a reasonable man. They didn't say, oh, no, wait, 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 you know, we got to work out the details first. No, they, they were willing to trust this individual. So he goes back at 9 o'clock and he finds these people. And these people, you know, you, you read that there, that they were standing idle. It kind of gives us the impression that they were lazy. That's not the case. They were willing to work. They just weren't chosen the first hour. These people were willing to work or they wouldn't be out there. Do you understand this? That's not a, a bad statement about the workers. They, they had it in their heart to work. That's why they were in the marketplace. And so he comes back and he sees these men standing around. And they wanted to work. And so he says, hey, I'll put you to work. You almost get the feeling that it wasn't so much that he needed all the workers. You almost get the feeling that maybe he's a little compassionate to their plight, to their need. Because they have a great need. And if they don't work, they won't eat. And he's probably looking at these men thinking, well, they probably have families. They probably have wives. And so he finds them and he sends them into the field to work. But he doesn't negotiate any price with them. He says, I'll pay you what is right. They trusted him. Then it says in verse 5, So they went, and going out again about the sixth hour, that's noon, and the ninth hour. And he goes on there, and, and he says he did the same. He went back to the marketplace over and over again. And he even come to the point where it's at the eleventh hour. What's that mean? It's five o'clock, folks. Quitting time, six o'clock. And this master is back in the town and he's looking around and he's like, oh, you still got some guys standing here. And he says about the 11th hour, verse 6, he went out and he found others still standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one was, has hired us. It's not that we don't want to work, it's just nobody's hired us. And he said to them, go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So this last group gets hired on with one hour left. They'd been waiting all day for someone to hire them. They're probably hopeless. They're probably depressed. They're probably wondering how they're going to go home and tell their wife they don't have any money. They can't feed their kids because nobody's hired us. It's not that they didn't want to work. It's just that Nobody hired them for whatever reason. Maybe they were older. Maybe they weren't as strong. Maybe they're the weaker ones. We don't know. I want to share with you this morning a different, this story, the same story. But I want to share it from a different perspective. It's getting dark, and nervously she paces in her modest home. She's worried. Nervously she sweeps the dirt floor from one side to the next. She stares out into the darkness it's late. She begins to pray, oh God, oh God, where's my Joseph? Where is he, Lord? It's getting late and I don't think he found any work today. The reason I know that is because I went into the marketplace later in the afternoon and I saw him still standing there. 
late in the afternoon. Nobody hired him. But Lord, where is he now? It's dark out. Has something happened to him? Maybe he's just too ashamed to come home again. Empty-handed. Her prayer is broken by a tug on her dress. It's her five-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. Little Elizabeth asks, Mama, where's Daddy? Why has Daddy not come home yet? Is he bringing us something to eat? Mama, I'm hungry. And with that, the door burst open. And he says, hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Rebecca. Prepare the table. We have a feast. Look, I have bread. I have cheese. I have figs. And for the two women I love most in my life, I have a little bit of honey. Joseph, where did you get all this? I know you didn't work because I went by later in the afternoon in the marketplace and I saw you standing there late in the day. He turned to her and he said, the most amazing, the most marvelous thing happened, Elizabeth, to me today. I was standing in the marketplace waiting for someone to hire me all day. The day was getting late and many had already gone home and given up. Others had gone to work and just a few of us were there standing so hot and sweaty, tired, standing there all day. But I knew I just couldn't come home empty-handed again. I couldn't stand another night just laying in bed when sleep would not come. When the growling of my stomach could not drown out the words of my daughter, Daddy, I'm hungry. I was almost ready to give up. When around the 11th hour... The most unusual thing happened. A fellow came up and yelled to us and asked us why we weren't working. And we said, well, no one has hired us. And he said, I'll hire you. Come on. Work. And it was late in the day, but a few pennies was better than nothing, I thought. So I went and worked in the guy's vineyard. And there were people there who had been working a long time. They've been working all day. You could tell because they were hot and tired and dusty, sweaty. Elizabeth, we only worked for one hour. And the landowner gathered us together to pay us. And would you believe he paid us first? The ones who had worked only one hour. Not those who had worked three hours or six hours or nine hours or twelve hours. And would you believe it that he gave us the same wages for the entire day? We worked one single hour, and we were paid for an entire day. I was so happy. I was joyous. I ran into the marketplace and bought all this food for us to eat tonight. Doesn't it look good? Isn't it wonderful? We're going to have a feast tonight. But as I was in the marketplace, I did hear some of the workers who had worked longer than I, and they were grumbling. They were really just downright mad. I didn't really say anything. I just came home because I couldn't wait to get home and spread this feast before your eyes. Let us gather around the table and thank God for his favor that he has bestowed on us. Joseph, may I ask a question? Sure, honey. I'm curious. Why are there just three loaves instead of the customary four loaves of bread? And are my eyes deceiving me, or 
it looks like someone actually cut that cheese in half. Well, you're right, and I hope it's okay, but on the way home, I thought of the widow Sarah, and I stopped by her house and gave her some of the bread and cheese. And wiping the moisture from her eyes, Rebecca said, Oh, my dear Joseph, my kind and generous Joseph, you know that it is more than all right. Let's bow and thank God. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.